Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Hello, everyone. How has your week been? Not much has changed here. We're still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves, and we still aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Apart from that, we've been chill. How about you? Have you been on the internet much lately, the F1 internet? Did you stick it to those Darn Amphosi. Did you get in there and explain it was a desperate lunge? Or did you troll the Dutch Facebook pages? Did you explain that there's no obligation to hit the apex? When did you give up fighting with people online and in the pub and with your friends about that incident? I think for, for me, Tuesday, I think I gave up on Tuesday. Did you let it go early or did you go full horner? Are we all friends again or is it war? Is peace for the week. Uh, a really, really busy and emotional week on social media. Lots and lots of feedback from us. I have to say, lots of lovely feedback. I shared a bunch of those emails on my Twitter account, at Spanners Ready. And I have to say, we just called it how we saw it last week. People have accused us of all sorts of things, of bias, of motivated reasoning. I guess we can't really tell unless we have the exact opposite situation. And I hope we stick to our guns and our principles, hand on heart, we just called it how we saw it. So now, apparently, we're just going to be talking to our Hamfosi echo chamber. And all those people who gave us lots of negative feedback, they're never listening again. So I don't need to worry about them. Uh, but look, a little bit of negative feedback can hurt. But the wave of passion that came out after that incident kind of just told us, do you know what? None of that's really personal. We're just getting the same sort of stick as some of the big boys. So it was actually very affirming. So I'd just like to say... Thank you for all the feedback, good and bad. Thank you for being part of the Missed Apex community. All I ask is that you don't insult each other 
and you don't insult my panel. Call me a turnip, all you want. And I have to say, I do respect the passion of the Dutch fans. You were fierce when Max was winning and dominating, and you've been formidable when he lost as well. We're in for a battle all year, aren't we? Not just on the track, but us lot. Are you up for it? I'm up for it. Let's go. Of course, I've got Matt Durumpets in the shed with me. How are you doing, Matt? You biased son of a gun. I am doing pretty well because I I have gotten feedback from the pros that they felt we had a very balanced approach to the whole thing. And as far as when I decided to nope out of this whole thing, that would be the WhatsApp thread on Sunday before our show. I was like, you know what? I'm going to decide what I decide. And I'm mostly going to keep my mouth shut after this because this just does not look like fun. Important note there because you said about being balanced. That's not actually my aim here. I'm not a national broadcaster. I'm not trying to be balanced. I'll give the views that I have and the views that other people have. And the only the only way I, I will err to balance is when I'm aware that there's a fan base that's hurting. So the Hamilton fan base has hurt quite a bit this season already. And also, we know Max Verstappen fans were hurting. Their driver was hit. Their driver was, was shaken up. There was an incident. Obviously lost out on points as well. So there, we don't want to like drive a stake in the heart of people who are hurting from their passion and their fandom. Yeah. And and by balance, to be clear, I mean, we presented a factually based discussion that covered all of the points that were being made at the time without just going, well, to borrow a phrase from Kyle, full wang. Let's stop talking to idiots like you and me. Uh, The core of Missed Apex is that we have our panel who are Fans, just like you and I, who give you their opinions all throughout the year, but we're also incredibly lucky to have some expert witnesses, best of whom, let's say best of whom, because he's the one that's here. We've got Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus F1 CEO. How's it going, Matthew? Very good. Very good indeed. How are you? I know, and it's uh, it's a big week for you. It's been a big month for you. We are, here's a trigger warning for the listeners, there is going to be some Formula E content. Why? Because we've got some exciting news. We are allowed to talk about that now, aren't we? Just to we check. Absolutely are, yes. Okay. Well, tell you what, we'll, we'll pay the piper first. Uh, we will talk about some stewarding decisions and the kind of the way the stewards and the race director work together. Uh, let's talk about some of the crash costs. We've got some really good questions from our Slack group. Um, the Formula One, Formula E crossover, uh, special guests, hospitality, and some silly season questions. So let's get on with that. Here's what Weitzer van Bruggen in our patron Slack group wants to know from you, Mr. Carter. What do you think of Toto making his way to the stewards room? Was it something you ever did? Go into the stewards room and try and influence them while they're making a decision. I have to say, I'd not realised that this was an issue. I thought everyone could go and talk to the stewards. Were there ever shots of Carter storming down the pit lane to the stewards office? No, not at all. Um, to be honest, we used to, there's a, a guy called Alan Permain, who's still with Alpine to this day, who uh, was, I think his title was sporting director, but he was the one that would always go to the stewards. And honestly, I think the only time that he went was when we were summoned. And uh-huh. he usually had pasta by his side at those times. But <laughs> um, yeah, when we were summoned, he would go uh, after the race. Um, yeah, during the race, never. Um, yeah, it seems to have taken on a whole uh, a whole sort of movement of its own. It was uh, I don't think it was as big a thing in my day at all. 
Yeah, so Michael Massey has been the one that's kind of made it a news story by saying, hey, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm not going to tolerate the the team principals just storming to the stewards. Um, it's a little bit like crowding the referee after a foul, I suppose. But he's made it a thing by coming out and saying it. Um, it seems a little bit odd because, you know, he's then broadcasting the direct line between the race director and the team principals. So I don't know. What, what do you think of that? Um, well, I, I, first thing, I don't think it would have been his decision to broadcast what was going on. I'm, I'm sure that's a liberty thing. Um, they've obviously had access to that channel uh, forever. Um, they've just decided that it's interesting. Um, and him being him making that statement, uh, the, the interesting part of it, I found, was I think he invited Toto to go up there. So he literally said over the radio, if you want to go up to the stewards, Toto, you're more than welcome. The same bit where he was talking about the email where he said, I don't look at my emails during the race. And I think at the end of that sentence, he said, if you're, you're more than welcome to go up to the steward. So I think he went up. I think maybe the issue was that uh, Christian um, Horner went up there afterwards as well. So maybe there was more than one of them in there and ranting and berating. But uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. It is exactly like uh, crowding, crowding the referee in, in, in football. And, uh, and I don't think it should be tolerated. I think they should leave the stewards to make their decisions. Uh, yeah, well, Christian Horner was quite vocal about being unhappy that that Mercedes had gone to the stewards. And I think the Mazzy statement was in response to that. So I think it might be a little bit of meta game playing by, by Red Bull because they feel like Mercedes got there first. Maybe they get the advantage in the argument. But you mentioned being summoned to the stewards. I always thought that was a standard thing whenever there was this kind of an incident that everyone involved had to show up with their telemetry and sort of explain their side of it before a decision was made. Is that not always the case? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the summoning to the stewards happens after the race, because obviously what they, they generally would want uh, team principal, sporting director, whoever is, whoever's designated to go up there along with the driver. Um, so that's usually after the race. So if it's a penalty that's been given during the race, um, then I guess they can call them in retrospect, but it would maybe be a little bit, uh, closing the stable door after the horse has bolted somewhat. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the relationship between the team, the race director and the stewards? Because there's a little bit of confusion within our community about whether Michael Massey has any influence. I assume he doesn't have a direct influence on the decision, but is he guiding the rules? Is he influential with his kind of race brief? Can he get involved? And doesn't he have to refer it in the first place to the stewards? Yes. Ah, yeah, right. does, yeah, so yeah. it doesn't go to the stewards unless Matt so says makes, he makes yeah. it. Yeah. So he basically has to, um, well, him and his, he's got a group of people that sit alongside him. They effectively have to make the decision as to whether it should be referred to the stewards or I guess, I know you hate the phrase, but whether it was a racing incident. Um, so once it's been referred, then it's in, it's entirely in the, in the hands of the stewards. But again, I think things have changed since my day because I think Charlie Whiting had a bit more power when he was there. I think some of his responsibilities got spread across different people. Um, so, so back in my day, it was, it was very much Charlie was the, the authority. Um, and I think I said it to you guys before. I, I generally have the opinion that Charlie maybe had a little bit more um, – authority is not the right word, but maybe a little bit more respect from the teams. I don't think we very, very rarely would question what he said. Um, he was always very um, – he was very easy to contact, uh, if that makes sense. And yet he was always very, very forthright with his, with his views. And you, and you didn't really question them. Um, 
in in, in certainly in, in in our case we would never question we would we would ask um and then be told very very plainly um and then back down it's an interesting kind of management conundrum so charlie whiting had a positive feedback loop because he was Charlie Whiting and been there a long time. He gets respect, therefore less questioning, therefore has to be less stressful, can be more calm, therefore gets more respect. Whereas Massey is a bit newer, doesn't have that respect, has to put his foot down. Sometimes that can be antagonistic and rub up against the teams. That might affect respect. So is it just a time issue, Matthew? I think it might just be that. It could be. And also, don't forget, um, during my time, it, Mercedes were more dominant than they ever I mean 14 14 15 16 were the years I was in charge and it was a Mercedes roadshow so it was you know there wasn't this battle at the front okay yeah there was the the Rosberg Hamilton um battle in 16 but really that I mean that was an inter an inter-team battle or it was an inter-team battle so there, there maybe wasn't this sort of uh pushing of the boundaries certainly in my time it was more between the races people questioning things that were on the cars or updates that were on the cars or different fuels that were being used or whether an aero part was, was strictly within the rules or not. Snitching. Um, yeah. Yeah. And all, and all of those, I mean, we even, you know, our, our twin nose, tusk nose, whatever you want to call it that we had in 14, you know, we, there was a, there was a file with maybe 50 emails backwards and forwards to Charlie Whiting in the run up to that, because, the guys, the designers at Lotus believed they were going to be questioned about it. So they were literally saying to Charlie, look, this is how we interpret the rules. Is that correct? He would say, yes. Okay. So if we interpret the rules, like, so without going too deep into the weeds, I don't know if you remember, but the whole point of that twin nose was that the rules said that your nose had to be a single section X millimeters away from the, the, the front line of the front axle, et cetera, et cetera. And what we did was we basically said, okay, that's our nose on the left and the portion on the right is just a piece of aero. So the fact that our nose isn't necessarily slap bang in the middle of the car, is that an issue? So there was all this backwards and forwards and Charlie Whiting basically saying, in my opinion, that's fine. In my opinion, that's okay. No, I think you're pushing the rules a bit there or whatever. And then we would, then we would, then we would go forward. Um, but yeah, the, the inter-race stuff and the, and the sort of the, the the positioning that they're taking it is just all part of the battle, isn't it? And and honestly, I think that um, without wishing to upset anyone, I think that in term forget the incident, forget everything else, just in terms of the way they've handled it, I think Mercedes have come out of it with a little bit of class and dignity. And uh, without wishing to go too deep, I think Red Bull may be the opposite. I I think that they uh, that there's there's different ways they could have handled it. Firstly, thank you for reminding us all how horrendous all the noses looked in 2014. <laughs> uh, let's list the 2014 noses in order of horribleness. Uh, Caterham, number one. Lotus Tusks, number Aye. two. <laughs> the car yeah, was lopsided. Come on, Mr. Carter. Uh, so, uh, Ian bubbly chunks in our live chat who designs all our liveries by the way for the spa 24 and i racing and all that kind of stuff um asks do you have more or less respect for christian horner's management style after the event and the way he handled it i mean it's interesting because externally i agree with you it's gone way too far and um i was actually really upset about the the scale and the tone of the the rhetoric i'm not sure it was entirely responsible heat of the the moment I get that. And the more measured responses after that 
are were less inflammatory, but definitely doubling down on the point. And now they're getting lawyers involved. Uh, so, but from a Red Bull team point of view, maybe they're like, yeah, Christian's got our back. Christian's defending Max. So it's like a management style choice, isn't it? It is, but I think I think you can go so far and you can go too far. Um, and ultimately, I just maybe it's 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 some of what I know of Christian, but I just I think that he just plays a role. He's 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 playing a part, and I don't I genuinely don't think he believes a lot of the stuff that he says. Um, I think he's 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 trying to make a point. He's trying to draw a line in the sand um, without wishing to go into all of the detail because it's been everything's been discussed everywhere all of the time. Um, I didn't catch any of it. If what was it? What are you talking about? Uh, I don't know. Apparently there was a crash or something. I'm not sure. Right. But if the roles were reversed, if the two cars were in the other way around and exactly the same thing had happened, they a thousand percent, they would have done exactly the same thing. And would he have been the same? Uh, he would have defended Max for his life. Would Toto have been as aggressive? I, I just genuinely don't think so. I think Toto just comes out of this and lots of other exchanges with a bit more class. I think it's interesting to bring up for reference uh, the crash between Russell and Botas at Imola because the effect on the Mercedes was similar, that the, they pretty much totaled the car in that. So from a cost point of view, I can't imagine it being too different. And certainly um, Wolf wasn't entirely happy, but it seems like he treated it very differently. And maybe that's because Williams is a customer of Mercedes power units. But perhaps that also offers a glimpse in how, from a corporate point of view, they would deal with those incidents differently. Yes and no, because as as you say, Williams is a is a customer of Mercedes, and and Russell is a Mercedes driver, and is just about to go up to the the, the his team. So um, no, it's it's going to happen. But uh, so that's so that's slightly different. Um, the cost thing, I just I. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think it's quite frankly a little rubbish. I mean, the, the figures that they band around are, are just ridiculous. I mean, unless they are doing something way, way different to what we were doing um, and they can't be, then they're throwing in, they must be throwing in, I don't know, sort of, they must be um, assigning a value to design or to, I, I really don't know because there's no way that it's anywhere like that. 1.8 million, Matt, was the figure. So give, give you an idea. We used to sell or we did sell a rolling um, chassis. Um, we sold quite a few of them prior to my time and after my time. So that is effectively the car, but without the engine in it. So every single part of it, aside from the engine, and we used to sell them for about 250,000. And that would be a one that Kimmy had won a race in. So that's everything. That's that's wheels, tires, suspension. You, all you needed to do was put a Renault engine in the back of it and you had an F1 car. Wait um, a minute. Are you suggesting that Red Bull are exaggerating with hyper, hyperbole, hyperbole to make their point? I'm absolutely suggesting that. But I'm also saying that Mercedes did the same thing because when, when Bottas crashed, they yes. came up with some crazy figure as well. Now, I, again, I don't know. You, you can't really assign a value to the man hours, the design hours, the number of... Well, I, I guess you can. I guess you can turn around and say that they've got 1,500 people working in a factory to produce that car and therefore they've paid them X. You know, if you start doing that, then yeah. I guess you can get to it. But they've got another they've got another set of noses and suspension arms and rear wings and side pods and engine covers yeah. sitting in the garage. 
So you're telling me that they've got like 10, 20 million dollars of bits sitting in the garage? No, they just they simply haven't. So it's the difference between the development costs and the replacement costs, because one unit could cost a tenner. The second unit could cost a pound because you've already done the design and everything. So you can keep printing off things for a pound each time. And they're quoting you the development cost, not actually the replacement cost, perhaps. That's the only way I can see, from my opinion, it's the only way I can see they can get anywhere near that sort of figure. And it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, yes, they're, I mean, they're prototypes. Each each car is a prototype and it's slightly different from race to race. But I, again, and this is going to sound a bit crazy, but I've witnessed Mercedes and Red Bull throwing the majority of a car away on a Friday after practice because they brought a load of bits to the car that didn't work and they were just slinging them in the skip at the back of the garage. Because I remember at the time we were fighting like crazy. My guys are saying, you know, we've developed this new front wing. And I had a rule that unless it was going to bring a couple of tenths a lap, then we wouldn't even go further into the process. Whereas I know that Red Bull would bring anything. You know, if it's bringing a couple of hundreds, then they would bring it to the back then. They would bring it to the race. They'd try it on Friday. If it didn't work, they'd throw it away. Yeah, no, I have uh, had a Red Bull employee say to me, if you could see what we threw out of the skip, you would cry because it's all things that would make like a fantastic memento in the shed. Exactly. Uh, Trumpets. Uh, Yeah, I just want to ask, because I looked at that figure and if I'm being honest, I had similar thoughts to you. But one thing I note is that they mentioned that the power unit itself might be totaled. They've actually complained about that a fair amount. Any possibility they're including the cost of a replacement, either parts or replacement power unit in that estimate to make it, well, you know, look as grim as possible. And is this also part of playing the cost cap game? Do you think uh, trying to get more room for themselves? Absolutely. It's it's part of playing the cost cap game. It's part of um, part of their game. Uh, they must be including the, the, the price of the power unit, but Again, I'm I'm not sure of the rules this year, but they used to be allowed four power units during the season. So there's elements of the power unit that they'll that they'll take off and reuse and change. And I'm I'm sure it was smashed to pieces. But but still, again, I'm sure they're including the full price of the whole power unit and and calling it. To, I mean, it you know it's uh, it is what it is. I don't seem to remember Haas going into great details about how much the Roman Grosjean crash cost them. Because if you ever want to see a car that is total with nothing left, then that was. Is that because Gunther was trying to hide the cost from his boss? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, look, um, co- we've we've sort of moved naturally into cost caps, which I wanted to talk to you about anyway. I remember last year when they were talking about bringing the cost caps in, and you essentially did some maths for us here. You you broke down the team costs and what was included in the cost cap and not which is just an incredible insight that I don't think any other guest of an F1 podcast could just sit there and just break that down for us. And you essentially turned around and said, you know, it's trash because they can still spend the money outside that cost cap. Um, Now it's in. It's in for this year, isn't it? Because I'd stopped thinking about it since you said it was nonsense. Uh, I didn't say it was nonsense. My measured opinion was not this is trash. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What do you think think now? and, And how does a crash like this affect the cost cap? So what I actually said back then well, was, that we it was it was good for them to to get something in place. Um, and I think that was a big step forward. And once they've got something in place, then they can start to tweak it and, and move it and make it actually actually mean something. Um, and at the time, and again, without going into a ton of detail, there were a number of things that are, that are pulled out of the cost cap, such as driver salaries, the top five employees, logistics, marketing, and those things added up 
for me at Lotus represented a huge portion of our um, our total budget. And if you kind of pro rata that against a round figure of 300 million at Mercedes, by the time you take out Lewis's 40 million and um, Toto and the top five salaries for another 20 odd million, and you take out Bottas's salary, then our logistics bill, I think was about 17 million. And that, that means just getting around the world. I'm sure they pay more. So I, I very quickly managed to work out that a 145 budget cap against the 3 million that they were spending prior left them in about the same position. So I think a lot of the um, the positioning and the, the 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 way that they're talking is is because they can anticipate more coming. If 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 that makes sense, I think they can anticipate that th- there's now something in place. So if they now say, okay, there's a budget cap in place, but we now take out the driver's salaries, well, that's going to make a huge different difference. You know, if the if the if the cost cap is one four five this year, oh, and Lewis Hamilton okay. is paid. And Lewis Hamilton's paid forty million. Yeah. Then you know the minute you include that or you exclude that, it makes a you know that's it's a third of the of the of the whole budget. So um, I think they're concerned that once something's in, then, then then it'll get changed. That being said, they get to vote on it. The way that the the structure of uh, governance is set up at the moment, they get to vote on it. So it's going to be difficult to get something through. But so I think there's a lot of positioning around that. Um, does a crash make a big difference? Absolutely not, because for everything that I just said, I mean, they, in terms of a power unit, they've got four for the season anyway. So if one's written off, so be it. Um, And in terms of the other bits and pieces, they're going to bring a new rear wing, a new front wing, and probably new side pods to the next one anyway. So the ones that are on the car are going to go either in the, Toto's personal museum or in the Mercedes museum or, um, or whatever, you know, so it's, uh, I don't see that as being a big, a big part of the, of the issue with the budget cap. I, I just think it's them trying to position themselves for future. Did you just say that, did you just mention a wage for Toto as team principal? What did you just say there? Did you just speculate on a wage or did I imagine that in my head? What do you reckon Toto's uh, on? Eight million, eight million <laughs> no, a year. I, I know what he's on, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to spout that across here. Eight, eight million um, higher? No. No, move no. on. Next, is it is it similar to what uh, what Lotus paid you? Is that around the same ballpark? No, no, nowhere near. <laughs> okay, we're, we're still on money. We've got a. I was on a, far more, far more money. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we are well. You saved all that money on the upgrades that you told them not to get. Exactly. Yeah, guys, don't 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 upgrade the front wing. That's going to cut into my bonus. All right. No, I'm sure there was none of that. Pierre in our Slack group asks. Let's say he's, he's a pure hypothetical from Pierre. That's why I like this. Let's say a driver from another team has a collision with one of your cars and it costs, say, between 1.7 and 1.8 million euros or whatever. Uh, is there any way to cut that expense by by an understanding with the other team, legal measures, etc., or is it just your loss? So Pierre's talking as if this is Lewis Hamilton's fault, 100%. Um, and And sometimes there are really clear cuts ones where it is just another driver punting your driver off can you ever turn to that team and say hey you owe us at no. least a point no no absolutely not no no it's, it's a generally agreed uh agreed thing that you that you would never do that it's racing is racing and if you if you start to go down that route then people wouldn't race yeah okay and that that's just i mean yeah no one's going to maliciously do that for financial purposes i suppose well i don't know there, there's no is there a fine even that you go okay no. You crashed our car out, so you have to pay a hundred thousand, and it goes to the racing drivers who can't read and write so good. No, no, no. I mean, the, the Michael Massey can issue fines. Um, I, I don't know where those go to, but no, it's it's certainly nothing in, inter team. No. Okay, this is one from the memory banks, but uh, 
maybe Malaysia, I don't remember, where one of the sewer drains came loose and destroyed a car. Wasn't there a, a potential legal action for the team to recover some cost from the circuit in that case? And let's just say, since we're discussing hypotheticals, if something was egregious enough, like the kind of thing we've seen people banned for life from and carting, would would you consider going to like a real court, like a proper no. court, to to recover damages in that instance? No. no. Not against a driver or another team. No, it's it's just it, you just don't do that. It's part of, as I say, it's part of racing. You would never. Um, I mean, I don't know if you picked up on any of the uh, the racing from London today, but if the Formula E teams did that, they'd all be in court all the time. Uh, yes, right. You've 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 done it. You've steered us round <laughs> to to Formula E, and uh, well, we've been following it obviously uh, via our, our little WhatsApp group, um, but we're incredibly excited for you and i think we would like to extend from Miss apex podcast our heartiest congratulations that you are going to be the race promoter for the vancouver e-prix uh, you I, I know you're chuffed i know you're excited but also you now have a giant ticking clock where you actually have to host uh, an e-prix which is probably second only to a, a formula one race at this point are you scared excited or both uh yeah i would say a bit of both yeah as, as you say we've been uh i've actually been working on this for about two years now believe it or not and we finally signed the contract with formula e uh 24th of june actually it was executed and then the calendar was announced a couple of weeks ago so we're officially um so my company is officially the the race promoter for vancouver 2022 for five years initial contract of five years um hopefully we'll extend it beyond that and we'll uh five years yeah, yeah, it's a five. So it's a five-year oh, contract wow. that we have now. Um, hopefully, we'll extend that. I want it to be, I want it to be a staple on the calendar. I want. Um, again, I don't know how much Formula E talk you want to go into, but in my, in we're my going opinion, to allow a segment of Formula E talk. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so one of the issues that I find with Formula E is that they tend they they haven't got a very stable calendar. That they do dip in and out of cities. Then um, there's numerous reasons for that. Um, one of them is maybe they rely even more than Formula One on um, on politicians, on elected officials that um, are voted in. And for that reason, I have sort of come at this from a different perspective. So we're not we're not taking any money from the city of Vancouver. So if the mayor changes or if the governance changes, then it's not going to affect me in the slightest. Um, and I've also Formula E is generally a one day affair. Um, I. I I appreciate there are some double headers that, t- that take place, but normally for a, for a one race, it's a, it's a one day affair. Uh, it's usually on a Saturday and it's a practice qualifying race all in the same day, which makes it very difficult for a promoter to earn money, um, which kind of loops all the way back to sprint races in F1, which we can talk about in a second. But so one of the things that I've done is that I've tried to extend the, the, the process. So it's not just an E-Pre. So it's what we're calling the Canadian E-Festival. Um, so it's going to be a business conference, a two-day business conference, um, the theme of which will be sustainability and climate change and electrification of mobility. And then on the Friday, we're going to have a celebrity race. We're going to have a lot of other on-track action, uh, a couple of music concerts, one on the Friday night, one on the Saturday night, and then obviously the Formula E stuff on the Saturday. So it's wow. a whole three-day event. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. As I say, it's a couple of years of work, and we've now got almost a year to to put the thing in to bed. Absolutely amazing and incredible. I have to say to you at this point, uh, Trumpets was slagging you off. He was slagging Canada off. 
And he said, you wouldn't catch me dead in Vancouver, not if you paid me. But please, can I come? <laughs> nice try. Absolutely. Nice try. Um, and again, just a, a last thing on it is that I, um, you know, from my point of view, and this is something that I'm bringing to this, you know, I obviously went to every Formula One race for three years. And I like to think that I... I've taken the good things that I see promoters do and I've, yes. I've eliminated the bad things. Um, and therefore I'm, I'm pretty confident that what we're going to put on in Vancouver is going to be an absolutely uh, stellar um, weekend. Okay. So we, we can straddle Liberty's approach to the F1 format with what you're planning to do in Vancouver. So let's yep. bring this to that sprint race format. Now looking at it from a promoter point of view, or like Liberty Silverstone point of view, is it clear now that the motivation for those sprint races is just so that it is extending the viewing hours, the opportunities to get celebrities in, gate receipts, all that kind of thing. So people have accused it of being a a cash grab. And I'm not saying what you're doing is a cash grab, but you guys have got to make money. Yeah, exactly. I I don't think it's a cash grab. I think it's more to offer... And I think you guys said this last week, but it's, it's more to offer more to the, the person that's coming on the Friday. Um, you know, prior to that, Friday was just, it wasn't a non-event because you got to see F1 cars on a track. But, you know, if there wasn't other things going on on track, then it would have been a bit of a damp squib. And as a result, you can't charge as much for a Friday as you can for a Saturday or a Sunday. So, so by doing what they've done, I think they've really helped the promoters out with that. And certainly in Silverstone, you... I think you referenced it. You know, there was a great atmosphere there on the Friday evening. You've got a race to watch on the Saturday, another race to watch on the Sunday. Now, I think that that all makes sense. Um, I'm not 100% sure that it's necessarily the right way that they've gone about it in this first effort um, in terms of setting grid places and and points and and all those things that maybe need a little bit of tweaking. Um, but yeah, from a from an attendee's point of view, and 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 this is quite a crucial thing as well. I think there's a difference between the person that's attending physically the race and the person that's watching it on TV at home. And I think that the person that's watching it on TV at home might say, "Well, I don't need, you know, I can't, I haven't got time for, you know, to to spare three, you know, there's there's three days now of time that I have to go and sit in front of the TV. Or I have to watch this. Or I have to do that. It's not aimed at those people. It's it's really aimed at the people that are attending to give them more. And and by definition, it does give the promoters more. And I mean, I know what I'm paying Formula E for a race in Vancouver, and I know what they pay here in Montreal for the for the F1 race. And it's, I nearly swore, it's damned hard to uh, to make it profitable um you know it only it only takes a, a rain shower on a saturday and the whole business model just falls apart because the attendance drops and and then you, you don't get the people through the gate uh, yeah loads of loads of points to to come out of that i, I feel uh, your point about is this the right way to make it entertaining f1 have increased the f1 content throughout the weekend you you're not doing that you're not lobbying Formula E to have an extra sprint race, you're trying to make other things go in and around it. Um, With the Friday format, I always felt like they were leaving a lot on the table by not pushing the support series more. So people were asking Mr. Apex to do a a feeder series podcast for the longest time, but there just isn't the interest, which is ridiculous because it's some of the most talented drivers in the world uh, fighting in a spec series, which is what people kind of complain about with the disparity of F1 cars. Um, there's also some really good racing, obviously, like, you know, with you've got the Porsches out there, W Series now supporting it. By the way, those W Series cars look absolutely mint. 
in real life. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can you can go about pushing and promoting those things. Uh, but how important is the hospitality side of things? Because me and Matt have both experienced some FIA event hospitality of of late. You were very kind to sort out uh, Matthew to, for the New York Epri, and uh, I believe you had your fill of Moet, didn't you, Matt? And uh, I was. Uh, a guest of my favourite ever team, Ferrari. I've always said they're amazing. Everyone's a Ferrari fan. Uh, but we were the guests of Estrella Galicia. So thank you very much to Tom and the crew there for looking after me and Brad for the day. I looked up the prices, Mr. Carter, of, of what that would have cost me and Trumpets to go and attend those days. It is astronomical. How, how much do you guys rely on, on that kind of audience? Um, yeah, a, a, a considerable amount. Um, but, but again, there's, there's lots of nuances to, to these things, as I'm sure you can imagine. So in Formula One, um, I, I don't know where you were in your hospitality. Um, Paddock Club. Yeah. You were in the Paddock Club. Yeah. Okay. So Paddock Club is nothing to do with the promoter. So Paddock Club uh. was set up and run by Bernie, is now run by Liberty. You buy the ticket for Paddock Club for the weekend and none of that money goes to the promoter. That goes to, that goes to, um, uh, liberty so paddock club itself is is stunning it's it's great you know i've you know i've i've experienced them all over the world and they're they're uh, some of the best hospitality you can get but that is not the uh the promoter's money so um lots of other hospitality suites in and around the the silverstone race um that are the promoters so there's the brdc club there's there's, there's lots of other areas that will be hospitality and Again, this is something that I kind of learn and that I'm trying to do in Vancouver is that to me, the quality of that hospitality is not as good. Obviously, the positioning is not as good. Paddock clubs always over the top of the garages. You look right down on where the, the teams are doing the, the pit changes, etc. In terms of Formula E, they have their um, emotion club, which I think is where Matt went. Um, again, that's a Formula E run thing. Um, so not for the promoters. That's what that's what Formula E bring, and they tend to have their global sponsors in there, and the, and that's why Estrella Galicia will have taken you because that's um, it's a Carlos Science sponsor, as I'm sure you know, um, that he's taken from team to team, and and that's why they will have been there. So, um, but all that being said, yeah, hospitality is a huge part of of making it work, um, and the feeder series are, are, are hugely important. I and. I was actually a little bit annoyed that there wasn't more coverage of the W series at Silverstone because I was expecting to have seen it. And, you know, I only really managed to grab the highlights on, on YouTube, um, which I thought was a shame because I think that really needs to be pushed uh, up front and central. It was, a, it was a big problem in series one as well when we were covering that with a W series podcast. I have to say, I, I just did feel like if we were to revamp the W series podcast, it should have women at the helm pushing that forward and we did have two lined up both of whom had other had other commitments i didn't feel it was right for me and me and matt to sit there and and be be the flagship presenters for that show or producers uh but yeah it was a problem in series one that they just weren't getting it out there and if you wanted to watch it after the race it just wasn't accessible so that's what i'd like to see formula one do because there's great there's great competition down the field in football you get massive Colchester United fans, for, for example, who are interesting, intelligent and handsome, who are watching, you know, the third, fourth and sometimes fifth tier and enjoying that greatly. We could have the same for Formula One um, and Formula Two. But are you planning to emulate what was going on with Tom Cruise at Silverstone? So Tom Cruise was everywhere. And in the commentary, they tried to make out, like, oh, Tom Cruise 
is Lewis Hamilton's guest for the weekend. Like Lewis Hamilton had just phoned up Tom and just gone, Tomo, Tomo, big race this weekend. Get yourself down to Silverstone, where it was clearly, you know, a tie-in for for Top Gun. And so are you going to be having those tie-ins? Is Tom Cruise coming to Vancouver? Um, I couldn't possibly comment on who is coming. <laughs> okay. But yes, we will, we will have tie-ins because... Again, back referencing what I I think works and doesn't work, and um, just having celebrities around and about the place is is of interest to people that are in the paddock and the pits, and even in the grandstands. You know, to see those sort of people around and about is is exciting and is and is fun. Um, so yeah, we will definitely do that. Um, I don't know the link between Tom Cruise and Mercedes and what they were doing. I thought the piece that Channel Four did before yes. the start, yeah, it was good, which you can still watch the Top Gun sort of reference with them. Uh, <laughs> with Weber and, and, and DC was, uh, was really cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, that is all part and parcel of it. We're, we're hoping to have, or we will have a celebrity race on the Friday in, in Vancouver. Um, oh, yeah. and there's a ton of, there's a ton of sort of Vancouver based celebrities that, uh, have already said that they'll come along and, and, and participate in the race. Obviously with it being a formula E event, they have to be electric cars that they race in. Um, so I've got all that lined up. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I think celebrity and having people like that around just adds a bit of kudos to the event. What livery are you running for your celebrity race e-car? I, I won't be. I oh, won't be. Come uh, on, you can do it. Get in there. You're for a missed Apex one. Yeah. So well, maybe ca- if, you're, if you're going to come, if you're going to come, maybe we stick you in there. Race cars are scary. I'm sure, you could, I'm sure you're <laughs> faster than Ryan Reynolds in a, uh, in a little electric car. As long as let's set a speed limit of uh, let's say fifty miles an hour, because I'm kind of old now, and that's my going to the shop speed. If if that's it, I'm in. Okay, okay, especially for you. <laughs> Fantastic news all around. Anyway, again, massive, massive congratulations. You are legitimately a race promoter. Oh, actually, last thing, last thing on this, because uh, obviously it's not permanent circuits, and not many of the Formula E tracks are permanent circuits. You are going to have to go into a city. Make yes. everything come to a halt. Say, no, get out of my way. Stop going to the bank and don't buy sandwiches from this supermarket. We need to set up a, a Formula E track. Isn't that like the scariest thing in the world? So when tracks like Singapore and Monaco have to do it, you know, the city shuts down. It's just going to be a logistical nightmare. I wouldn't bother. So again, without without repeating myself over and over. So I, I kind of learned a lot of those things. So... For anyone that knows Vancouver or lives in Vancouver, I'm sure they would know anyway because it's been all over the press. But we're going to race in an area which is called Falls Creek, and we actually only close two streets, um, and those streets will be closed for 48 hours maximum. So we go along two streets, and then we effectively – I'll try and make it sound a bit more glamorous, <laughs> but we effectively then race through a car park um, right. and then uh, and then back down and then rejoin the street. So um it's actually a really cool. It's a it's a cool track that um, my partner Phil designed, who, who's been on here before. Um, it's oh, a yeah. really cool track, and we really spent a lot of time and energy in making it a street circuit that works. Um, so it's not too tight, it's not too narrow. Um, there should be plenty of overtaking opportunities. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of uh, disruption to the to the city itself. Um, there's hardly any it's uh okay. there's, there's certainly there's nobody within the track if you like um with inside of the perimeter of the track that is affected at all it's uh it's, it's been designed especially that way okay i've got a question for you from our patron slack group but i've also completely forgotten and i cannot find who asked that question i'm quite i'm quite annoyed ah here it is it's daz it's daz the gardener what is janai's interest in alpine he noticed stickers 
on the front wing? Is this just a minority holding to keep the investors in the F1 paddock? Or do they have uh, an involved role with the team? Now, Janai or Genie was the company you worked for when you were team principal of Lotus. Have they low-key sneaked their way back in? Or is this just so that you can have paddock club, etc. type passes? Well, it does help on that front, but <laughs> right. Genie, as it is referred Genie, to, have all right. have been there since 2016. So part of the deal when they sold was that they kept a percentage of the team. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but they kept a percentage of the team. What, and what they percentage also made, was that? I just said I'm not going to go into detail. It's worth a try. And they also maintained two areas on the car. So they're on the front suspension oh. and they're on the rear I think it's moved actually, but it certainly used to be on the rear at the bottom of the engine cover. Um, so they were they would always maintain those two those two locations. Um, and the theory is that they can resell them if they wanted to. So if they had another sponsor on board, then they could put them in there. Because actually, the front suspension arm, believe it or not, is one of the best pieces of real estate on an F1 car because the uh, it gets a lot of uh, it gets a lot of coverage. So the the camera that's above the driver's head always looks down onto it. Um, and sort of front three-quarter angle, if you like, is one of the uh, one of the most expensive areas. Okay, but from an advertising point of view, I see Genie on there. Okay, oh, bro, oh look at Genie! I'm going to go and buy some Genie. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So what's the, it's, exactly. it's a weird so one, it's isn't not, it? It's, it's just to keep their name in mm. F1, and and as I say, they can resell it if they need to. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tenuous, but it was part of the contract that they negotiated at the time that we sold to Renault. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, thank you for that. It's, uh, a, good, it's a very good question. Yeah, yeah very, very observant. Good. So it's been like low-key there the whole time and I've just yeah. not noticed it go away. Because they, they did make headlines. That was quite like a, a talking point because it was, it was a different kind of model. It wasn't like a Gene Haas coming in. It was this, it was like a dark, shady conglomerate coming in with their enigmatic figurehead. That's you. To come in and do it. So at the time, that was it was definitely big news what, what they were up to. People were watching it. Yeah, it was. No, they 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 tried to come in and um, in as much as they could, they tried to make it work from a business point of view. Um, All right, and to a certain extent, failed. But they uh, that was kind of their their plan from from day one. All right, trumpets. You've assembled some good show notes here today. Should we get into some general F one news? Where where do you where do you want to go? Silly season. Yeah, and since we're talking about Formula E, uh, okay. Mercedes Formula E drivers yes. have recently been in the news. Uh, linked with, I believe, a uh, potential drive at Williams, to which uh, Mercedes Formula E team has said all sorts of things that can't quite be counted as denials, but definitely not affirmations. Any thoughts? Um, I'm not, not sure what the question is. I mean, the, the, oh. the Formula E, so the, form, the Mercedes Formula E team has only been there this year. So therefore, this, this sort of... Uh, Cross promotion, if you like, has only been has only been around this season. They, the two drivers, um, Nick De Vries and Stoffel Van Dorm, are Mercedes drivers, and Mercedes EQ as the as the as the Formula E team and Mercedes F1 team are um, essentially Toto is the is the head of the whole lot. So he's got a group of drivers. If you imagine the the Formula E Mercedes team to be a bit like Toro Rosso, uh, sorry Alpha Tori, um, then he's just got a pool of four or five drivers. So. Um, and he positions and puts them where he, well, more than that, because he's got, um, George Russell and, and numerous others. So he's got a pool of drivers that he needs to place in competitive cars. Um, 
And also, again, and I don't wish to be the uh, the the doomsayer, but he's also trying to promote his FE team. He's he's trying to make sure that FE is seen to be considered in those same in those same conversations. So, whether or not it'll ever happen, I don't know. But I think he has got his own narrative of trying to make sure that the Formula E team and Formula E itself is get some eyeballs. Why? What's the motivation? What what's what stake has he got in that game? Well, Mercedes do because they have they have a team in Formula E. So obviously he wants to make sure that Formula So this this all comes back to where Formula One and Formula E are going. Um, yes. and what's going to happen in the future. It's a it's a big chunk of the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing in Formula E. Um is because I do think that there is legs to what Formula E are doing. And you know, you've only got to look at what's going on with road cars to see that there is obviously a a huge push in that direction. Oh, don't talk to Matt about that. He's got all his eggs in the hydrogen camp and thinks we're all going to be driving around on bombs in the next five years. Uh, not necessarily. Just hydrogen can operate like a battery in certain circumstances when you're trying to save energy that's been harvested sustainably, as can synthetic petroleum and all sorts of other stuff. But Mercedes has a brand new EV coming out to compete with the Audi e-tron and the Jaguar e-pace or i-pace or whatever it is so i could see a certain amount of sense in that but one thing that hasn't happened that i do want to ask you about this is very specifically formula e is mercedes has yet to sign on for the third gen car have you heard anything can you can you enlighten us as to what their probabilities might be for for the audio listeners the, the smirk suggests that he does know let's see what he says I couldn't possibly comment. I couldn't possibly comment. I don't, um, I don't know. Okay, but we'll we'll leave it at that. I think that Formula E, in terms of manufacturers, is going to be very strong for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Right, okay. A a, a statement from which we can draw no conclusions whatsoever. So, the the reason for me why this is so interesting, talking about uh, De Vries and um, Van Dorn, going back over to... To, to Formula One potentially is because as of yet, no driver has driven a competitive Formula E session and then gone on and driven Formula One. So it's been either a place to divert to if you don't make it to Formula One or a place where, you know, you finish your career and then you can go and go into to, to FE. But as Formula E gets faster, as the technology starts to catch up, becomes more, more, rele- uh, more relevant, there's going to be a crossover point at some point where the prestige of Formula E is such that it's a good place to kind of go to do your your gap year. Don't go and do Super Formula. Go do Formula E, then come back into Formula One. I don't know, Matt. What, what's your sense, Trump? Is are we I don't know, five, five, ten, five, ten years from that point? I don't even know. I mean, the problem you're going to have immediately with people who know Formula E is you're going to argue that Alex Albon has already crossed that Rubicon, even though technically he didn't drive any competitive I was laps. very he, careful to say a competitive session in Formula E. Thank you. Yes, but you know, people will read into what you're saying, what they wish. I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's, I, I think, I think the problem you have, the biggest problem you have doing that is that the tires are so different between Formula E and Formula One which is the same reason we don't see a lot of American drivers crossing over from Indy to Formula One. It's not that they don't have the fundamental driving skills. It's that the specific button pushing skills, which we've talked about in the past, 
But in particular, managing the Pirelli tires is really an art unto itself, and it takes a while to master it. Yeah, but it's also a status thing, isn't it, uh, Matthew? Because you can't deny at the moment, obviously, Formula E visibility and status is way down on Formula One. It's nowhere near, even though they put on a spectacular show. It just hasn't quite captured the kind of broad hearts and minds of motorsport fans yet. Talking of tyres, just a second, just to go yeah, backwards. No worries, go yeah. Is it um, is it in the public realm that Michelin are um, not going to be the tyre supplier going forward? Okay. Is it in the well, public it is realm? now. Oh. Don't ask us. <laughs> we'll just... no, well, it no, is. Matt was I, nodding I, I, like crazy as yeah. if it obviously was. Yeah, everyone knows. all. Everything you say is already in the public realm. You're good. Is it, um, is it known who the new supplier is going to be in Formula E? I yeah, believe yeah. it's Hankook. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So yes. So that is, so they are trying to, I, I believe that is a way of them trying to address the, uh, the similarities between the two so that they can try and bring them together. So that kind of deals with that a little bit in terms of the question about the show and formula e itself. I'm, I'm a hundred percent agree. I, there's, there's a lot of things that they need to do to, um, to improve the show itself and, um, and how it is. I think the potential is huge. Um, I don't know if, uh, if, if you spanners or, or, or any of the listeners would have watched the Monaco formula E race, which was, um, in comparison to the formula one race mm. was, was, was action packed. Um, and as you say, the technology is improving year on year, the gen three cars are going to be another step forward. Um, so in all the, in all these ways, I think that, uh, formula one and formula E at some point, I think there's going to have to be some sort of, uh, a, a crossover now will formula e ever surpass formula one as the pinnacle of motorsport i don't think so at the moment but it could well happen i mean it's you know if you'd have asked me two years ago did i think that combustion engines were going to be banned in the uk in 2030 i would have said no but you know it's it that's the kind of the way of the world well i think toto wolf making the the case or even promoting the fact that his formula e drivers may cross back over that is a big step forward in just motorsport in the world of motorsport and karen in our uh, patron Slack group, says Gasly did the New York E-Pre in 2017. Oh, Karen, you've ruined my point entirely. Fine, I withdraw. Let's go back to uh, more F1 silly season because that that Williams place does seem to be up for grabs. When I was speaking to Uncle Joe, I said, "Do Dalton have the funds to not have a pay driver?" And he seemed very positive about that. So that to me suggests that there's there's two places. There is two spaces over at Formula One, uh, over at Williams F1 for 2022. So we could be just looking at those two guys just popping in and then Russell up to Mercedes. What do you reckon? So, so hang on. So that, so you're, you're suggesting that Latifi is going to be out? Gone, well? slung. They don't need him. That's my guess. That's what I, I reckon. I don't, I don't agree with okay. that at all. Okay. Um, and I also think that the we I know we've had this conversation before, but the definition of pay drivers is one that needs to be uh, delved into a little bit because if uh, Williams uh, Dalton didn't want any pay drivers, then they wouldn't have George Russell in there. Uh, you know, it because he is a pay driver by by definition. They're getting yes. a discount on their engine because they're putting him in there. So um, I think that. I mean, it's not the sexiest of answers, but I think Latifi will stay, and I think Bottas will go there. I think that Bottas and Russell will just will just switch. Then why am I seeing so many rumors about Bottas and Alfa Romeo? Oh yeah, 
Yeah, has anybody confirmed yeah, yet that Kimmy's going? Has he said, I've had enough, I'm out of here? No. Because he doesn't seem like the sort of driver who needs to stop. I reckon he'd just plod along if he could. And it, doesn't he, like, have shares? Plod along. Well, he's a bit plod along, isn't he? But isn't he... I love. We all love Kimmy, apparently. Um, but he doesn't he, like, own a part of Salva Alfa Romeo at the moment? So he's also, like, part of the whatever management. I don't know yeah, how it works. Yes, he does. And I think that I'd... I, I think he'll probably stay. I think, as, as I said, it's not the sexiest of answers. I, I mean, there's going to be rumours obviously thrown around all over the place. I I, I have no um, basis to this, but I just okay. think that Bottas, Russell will do a quick switch. Um, it's going to bring someone with sort of uh, that pedigree and that um, experience into, into Williams to help them to develop that car. Um, I think there's quite a bit of development work that Mercedes are doing that they're chucking onto Russell's car at the moment, um, which certainly with regard to the engine, which is kind of why they're they're giving him some stuff to try and uh, to try and push Williams up. I said that, and I was accused of being a mad conspiracy nutcase. That's why his engine blew up. Did it's... that's why? Because they they were secretly testing stuff. I got did told I that wasn't that? allowed. <gasps> no, no, I, I literally just okay. said that as a mad conspiracy theory i think it came up in our slack group and then i got told that there's weird rules now where they can't change any settings between sessions but they can certainly add new bits or give them a power unit that has an upgrade for reliability obviously yeah exactly and they can also run an engine they can also use williams as a test to to run an engine at full whack for a a longer period than they would do at mercedes yeah just do it for the whole weekend that's the only rule isn't it is you can't change it in between once you start yeah, exactly. But there's still different settings on the. There's still different settings they can go in and out of. Now, actually, uh, that's a common misconception then, because I keep getting told you can't change engine modes. Is that different from settings? Like, what are we talking about? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, yes, it's so exactly. It's it's all in the the devil's in the detail with with most things, and I'm sure Matt's going to jump all over this. But there's 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 a ton of different settings that they go into in terms of um, engine recovery. So they could, they call it clipping. So you'll hear them talk about, um, lifting coast or, or, or whatever. They don't, they don't call it that in, in F1, but lift, they lift off at the end of the straight and you'll see those three red lights at the back. When the red lights are flashing at the back, that mm. means that they're, they're, um, regenerating energy in the battery. Um, and they have different settings to do that at different points of the track. So if you're in full on attack and, and you'll hear them say that they'll back off for a couple of laps to then build up to another attack. Um, and they do that because they don't want to drain the battery down completely. So there's a, there's a ton of different 
modes that they can run in, if you don't want to call it engine settings, but and they, and they do that constantly during the race. Okay, so Russell conks out with an experimental engine, Matt, in, was it the French Grand Prix? Was that where he, he conked out? It was one of those, wasn't it? And then sure. yeah, sounds a good. few races later at Silverstone, Hamilton potentially has a half a second lead in qualifying. Was it not for his Sector 3 little squiggle at the end in Q3? Coincidence? Yep. I think not. Everyone who called me mad when I said that, you apologise to me right now. Spanners at MissedApex.net. And also, Trumpets, oh no, it's Matt at MissedApex.net. Just send yep. Matt a note as well to remind Matt that I was right about that probably. But Matt, oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it, they are allowed to change engine maps, I believe. Exactly. Um, they're not allowed to have like specific modes just for qualifying. Yeah, yeah, if exactly. you have it, you have to use it during the race to yeah. a certain percentage. It's some kind of rule like that yeah, yeah, without yeah. looking it up and double checking. And yeah, th- that to me, that's entirely plausible. It, it, those teams, Williams, that's what that team is for. Yeah, sure. Here, run this map for us. Tell us how it works. Oh, your <laughs> engine exploded. Oopsies are bad. Uh, <laughs> let's one. update that. We'll get back to you. Yeah. Because also, I th- and, and, I, and I know I've said this before, but the, the teams don't necessarily know what's going on with the engine. So Mercedes could tell you to, and, that, and that's what happened with us in Spa with, with Roman. We didn't necessarily know, but all of a sudden Mercedes engineers that are sitting in, so there's Mercedes engineers sitting in the back of the Williams garage and the McLaren garage. Um, and those guys are, they, they can literally, they dictate what's going on with the engine. They'll be dressed in team kit, but they are employees of Mercedes-Benz. Amazing. All right. Good. Excellent. Right. Where should we end? Because as much as you say, you're, we, you know, look, we're all parents here. We all want to escape for as long as possible. Uh, however, <laughs> I, I never said to, that. I do need to go to bed at some point. Oh, that was before the show, wasn't it? Steve, let's get that in, in the edit, because I'm sure Mrs. Carter is listening intently to Mr. Apex podcast. Um, no, no, mine doesn't care either. Right, uh, let's end with, oh, here's a good question from Michael Distelhoff, who is from Swansea. No, I think he's, I'm sure he's German. Uh, I am curious what your vision would be, Mr. Carter, for Haas. Gunther has sold the dream to Gene Haas in the past, uh, but I can't see him doing the same for Mazidad. <laughs> okay, I like that. Okay, so for uh, Mazepin Senior, assuming the team is getting sold, any chance of of changing a uh, changing of the guard? So yeah, okay, that's a great question. Do you have any insight on what we think is actually happening with with Haas? We g- keep getting this drumbeat that Gene Haas is more or less done. You've got this kid in who's got more money than more money than the Pope. So. What's happening? What's happening with it? Is that is that is that the end for Gunter? Uh, is it the end for Gunter? I I don't know. I, I the honest answer is I I don't know for the for the whole question. My thoughts would be that, um, and I think Gene Haas has has probably had enough. I don't think he is. You think he's a very competitive guy and he's also a very successful guy in other forms of racing. And I don't think he particularly enjoy. Well, I know that he doesn't particularly enjoy running around at the back of the grid. Um. Mazapan's father could easily do a Lawrence Stroll um, and walk in there. It would make sense for him to do that rather than um, try and set up a new team because there's all sorts of uh, financial obligations that you have to do to set up a new team these days. Um, what does that mean for Gunter? No idea. I mean, if if you were asking me, if I bought into that team, I would yeah. Gunter would be the first person out the door. But uh, oh, okay. Why? Why? 
Um. <laughs> oh, that's the obvious question. You can't ping me for that. I've got to ask, why would Gunter be the first out the door? I just think there's more capable people that could that could do that job. All right. So we're into Dream F1 team. You're you're taking over Haas, not as the team principal, but as as the you're because now you've gone up in the world. You're not you're not a mere team principal now. You are you're leading the investment group. It's uh Carter Genie going in there. So who you who are you gonna install? Who's available? I'm sure I've asked you before. Boulier. Yeah. No way. <laughs> okay. Um who would what do you mean? Who would I who would I take from yeah, another yeah, team? Yeah. Who would Yeah, yeah, you can have anyone. You can take anyone. Not Toto probably. Horner, right? No. No, okay, not Horner. Okay, let's more more wrong guesses. More wrong guesses. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, all the F one teams seem to be going down this route of um not just having a team principal, having like multiple people in those positions. And I think that's probably sensible going forward. Um I don't know. There's there's a there's a ton of um there's a ton of good sort of technical and, and sporting guys around and about that uh, that you would put in there ahead of Gunter. Um, I'm not going to be drawn on names. There's a ton of good people in FE, to be perfectly honest, that are, that are running teams. And I mean, uh, just literally before we did this, I was watching uh, Alan McNeish, and he's uh, he seems to be a very capable uh, team principal. And now I casually dropped it. I said hi to him at the New oh, York nice. event. Yeah. And and asked him, you know, where he was headed after this. Matt, I'm sure he wouldn't complain about going back to Formula One. Matt, that's, that's fine. Like, honestly, when we're at those, those events, I, I have been stood next to Alan McNish and he's just on his phone. I was just on my phone. I never want to bother people because your instinct is to go, oh, my God, you're Alan McNish. That's so cool. You're off of the telly and racing and that. But uh, I end up just not not bothering them. So I probably shouldn't talk about the half hour conversation I had with Nick Chester from Mercedes then. Oh, no, I would have. I would have, I would have let that go. Uh, Matt, I used to, to be honest, in in the paddock at F1, if I had, um, so often I would have sponsors that would that obviously were coming for the hospitality, and sometimes they'd bring their kids with them, and their kids would be starstruck because when you're in that the paddock area, it's where all the the teams and the drivers are, and uh, often their kids would be. Um, a little bit starstruck, but wanting to go up. And I always used to say to them, you know, you just go up, literally go up and put your face in front of them and say, can I have a picture or can I talk? And yeah. they'll do it because it's their job. It's the, you know, it's, it's what they are used to. It's what they're paid to do. The two people <laughs> that it didn't, that I had bad reactions from. So one was Lewis. Okay. Um, and that's more to do with his entourage than him personally. I don't think, I mean, and I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 year old kids. Yeah. They couldn't get anywhere near him. It's the sheer um, demand as well is a factor, isn't it? And even if you do get near him, there's a bodyguard behind saying, don't like the other drivers will put their arm around a kid or whatever, and like lean in for a selfie, but Lewis wouldn't, won't, you know, and there's a, someone stood there saying, don't touch him and all that sort of rock star status. Yeah. And the other one, unfortunately, was Sebastian Vettel, who oh, really? on one occasion just flat denied um, them going up to him. He just, just said, no, I'm busy, and just walked off in the opposite direction. Was this in the world champion years? This is the Red Bull time, was it? Or? This was, uh, so uh, this would have been 14, 15. Oh, okay. So it was when Red Bull were really having a bad time of it with the, with the Renault power unit. And then had he gone to Ferrari in 15? Yes, 15, yeah. But, but I would yeah. argue at that time, Sebastian Vettel was the star of Formula One in that period. Like he was the big dog in F1. 
Yeah, maybe. So he had kind of rock star status, and I think Lewis Hamilton has that same kind of rock star status as well. So it's that it's that kind of mass appeal. So maybe Lewis Hamilton in ten years' time, when he's not picked up a title for a while, but he's still you know pulling a Raikkonen. You know, maybe he's the one in the stands picking up litter after the race, Matt. Yeah, and if I'm being completely fair, I'm pretty sure that if I'd just been there as a journalist, as I, as I had been in the past, I don't think Nick Chester would have come out and actually spoken to me. I think the Mercedes people saw my fancy VIP pass and thought, "Oh, well, we can, we can, we can, we can maybe make that work for you. We'll go bother him and see what he is up to right now." And I was lucky that he wasn't too busy at that moment. And Nick, Nick was my technical director at Lotus as well, so he's uh, there's a there's a little bit of. Uh... <laughs> I, I may have dropped your name if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, fantastic! I, I loved the the status you get with those fancy paddock passes well, i accidentally wandered around to to, to the, like a driver's area and it was like a toilet that drivers can use when they they pull up in their car and there was a perez had posted on instagram a picture of him in this same car park going oh i've arrived in his honda and and i wandered to that toilet early on the friday and i went can i go and can i just use those because we can't get into the paddock club yet and because you've got the lanyard the guy's looking at me and he's going well no you're not allowed but also he might be important this guy so i'd best not just mug him off any time else in my life when i've strayed into the wrong bit they've just gone oi come here street rat and kicked me out but in here he's gone oh yeah i suppose so go on then because he doesn't know does he? he doesn't know whether he's gonna get a well funnily enough silverstone was the one place where i had the worst experience of that because i I still don't really know why but paddock club is is a whole different area than than the paddock and the pit so i yeah. had um an annual pass that allowed me on the grid, on the pit wall, obviously in the garage, anywhere that I wanted to go, but not into paddock club. So if I had to go and do guest appearances in paddock club, then they would give me a paddock club pass. Right. And also they kind of, a lot of the places, they kind of know who you are. And then when they look, they'll open the little thing to let you through. But I remember specifically at Silverstone, my father and brother were upstairs in paddock club. Uh, I think it was the Saturday. Um, and I had to do a guest appearance up there for our sponsors. So I had a paddock club pass that I'd been given by our, our media girl the, the, the day before. Um, so I moseyed, I finished doing what I was doing. I moseyed toward paddock club to go and make sure that my brother and my father were all happy. But my paddock pass was only valid between the hours of 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. And she literally wouldn't let me in. Like a bus pass. And I was trying to do the thing that I would never, ever do and say, Do you know I who I am? you know who I am but I said look I'm the because it says on the back of your pass CEO stroke team principal Lotus F1 team so I was saying look I'm the team principal I just need to just want to go and talk to my family who are upstairs and uh <laughs> have and it. Was, nope absolutely not you're not you can't come in basically computer says no because I kept bleeping it on the little things that you know and the they make style, a yeah. terrible noise if you've not got the right pass <laughs> instead of a instead of a lovely chime there's this horrible alarm goes off but uh yeah Matt, I believe you want to sneak one in if we can cheekily get another another topic in with Mr. Yeah, Carter. Fine. Yep. Well, this interests me from a uh, team principal point of view. Uh, we've recently learned that the reason McLaren has not been beating Mercedes at every single race is that they need a new wind tunnel, and they're they're planning to finish theirs around uh, 2024. At which point they will they will be out of excuses. And so I, I have two questions. One is, when you were at Lotus, what was the one thing that would have made you more, what were you missing 
in terms of equipment that you really feel like would have made the biggest difference. And secondly, they're already talking about banning wind tunnels by 2030 in any event. Does it make sense for McLaren to invest the money and build that kind of a facility for the five or six years it will help them? Uh, no, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I was missing uh, drivers and money. Um, they were the two things that would have made difference. Um, so I think, and g- genuinely my opinion, and nothing's wavered me from it to this day, is that at Lotus at the time that I left, um, everything was there for them to be a front-running team in terms of personnel, um, in terms of designers and aerodynamicists and, and, and mechanics and, and, all that, and all that. The team itself that we had was, was a great team. Um, but money. But as I said before, you know, the bigger teams can, um, can throw money at any development. And, I, and we, we just couldn't do that. So I would have those meetings once a week with all the aerodynamicists and they would show us the, with Nick Chester and we would sit down and we would say, right, these are all the ideas that we've come up with over the last seven days. And I would say, okay, what's the potential? And then we'd have to look at the potential in terms of lap time. And if it, and if it wasn't significant, then we would have to discard them because we didn't have the resources to. So once an idea works on, um, on, on, on CFD, computational fluid dynamics, which is the, the computer software that they use, once it works through we CFD. Yeah. We, all knew, we all know it, what CFD is, goodness. Once it works through the CFD process, you then it's then a case of, literally building a 60% model of it and running it in the, in the, in the wind tunnel. If it works. So if it passes that, if it, so if it passes the initial idea, if it passes, passes CFD, we would then build it. We would manufacture it and, and, um, and build it at 60%, run it in the wind tunnel. If it still works in the wind tunnel, then you build a full size one. You take it to the track on the Friday, or at least used to back then run it on the Friday, see if it makes any difference on in, in the real world. If it does, it goes on the car. If it doesn't, then it goes in the bin. Um, and I couldn't afford to do a ton of the stuff that they'd come up with. And the aerodynamicists and the designers were tearing their hair out because that's their job. I mean, they've spent spent a whole week or whatever, like designing and perfecting these things, running all the tests through CFD, and we couldn't do it. So I think those incremental small steps add up to big steps, but I couldn't do them. So it would be a big step or we don't do it. Um and I say it with with a certain amount of facetiousness, but I, two drivers, two consistent on it drivers, um, or even more. I mean, and, and to be honest, Roman was 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 a great driver, still is a great driver. He's very consistent, but I think even he would admit that he's not a, a, a Verstappen or a Hamilton or a Ricciardo or even Norris. I would say these days you put up there that has got that absolute consistent i mean did i absolutely mm. hand on heart know that the and you're talking tenths of a second so again just if you take a step out of the 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 rhetoric that we are driven on a constant basis which is you know it's a tenth of a second you look and i was talking to someone about this the other week you look at the gap between a mercedes and a williams or a mercedes and a Haas over one lap and it's what a second mm. But you realize that around 15 corners, what that looks like, it's a couple of meters, you know, and, 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 and so you have to realize that when we say, oh, my God, that Haas is such a terrible car, it's, mm. it's a second, guys. It's, it's yeah. not like it's a minute behind. It's very, 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 very close to what Mercedes are doing. So the margins are so fine 
And I think it's really easy to forget that. And therefore, the margins being so fine, could I honestly, hand on heart, turn around and say that it was, you know, Roman was driving exactly the same with front wing A as front wing B, so that we can consistently turn around and say there is two hundredths of a second difference between the two. I, I, I just don't see it. I think you probably can with a Vettel or a Hamilton or a Verstappen. What about uh, Bottas? Is that where Williams are going to benefit next year then? I think so. I, th- I think he has proved himself enough at Williams and, and, and obviously he's been at Mercedes for long enough to prove that. I mean, there's a difference between, obviously there's a huge difference between what I'm talking about and, you know, on track, uh, the, the, the way that you drive and passing and, and the way that you engage in overtaking manoeuvres and diving for that, for, that, for that pass. There's a difference between that and being consistent. Yeah. And I, I seem to remember on here years ago saying that when Williams went for the two, the two kids, when they had Lance Stroll and... Um, Sorokin, yeah. Yes, when they went for those two, they didn't have a point of reference. And I don't see how you can develop a car without a real good, solid point of reference. Because, you know, I, do they know that Lance went slightly wide? I mean, they, they've got a lot of telemetry, but it's still very, mm-hmm. very hard to say this is absolutely down to that front wing that we've made that difference. So therefore, we're going to put the investment in. So, yeah, sorry, bit of a rant, but there you go. No, I love it. <laughs> I like it. It reminds me of um, Patty Lowe telling the fiddle brake story, where they had the extra brake in the car to help it go around turns. It would break one of your rear wheels on the inside so you would get better traction around the corner. And they had drivers. They, they had one driver who gained nearly a second with it and another driver who couldn't use it at all. So it's it's amazing the extent to which the driver can make a difference when you're trying to evaluate a part like that. It must make it quite difficult, I would imagine. Well, exactly. That that's it. And they, you know, I mean, there's a famous old Eddie Jordan quote, isn't there, about the the problem being the the nut behind the steering wheel? I can't remember the exact quote, but something like that. But it's true. And it's uh, bizarrely, or maybe not bizarrely, maybe maybe greatly, the performance, the human performance side of what we did at Lotus was something that I put a lot of time and effort and and cash into, and we and we really went for it. And that went from everyone. So we had in the the mechanics that were on the pit on the on the the, the tire change uh, crew, um, they had it in their contract that they had to go to the gym every day um, for a certain period of time. What? Because so yeah, the guys that were the the guys that were on the on the pit crew. So oh, so wow. you, so you've got the mechanics on both sides of the garage, mm. and I know I know I've said this before, but so you've got two sets of mechanics either side of the garage, but you've only got one pit crew. So they sort of, it's, it's kind of like, uh, and they get paid more, well, it's certainly at Lotus, they got paid yeah. more money if they were on the pit crew. And we had like an A and a B team. And they do thousands and thousands of practice um, pit stops in the, gar- in the, in the factory. Um, but the guys that were actually on the, the pit crew had it written in their contract that they had to go to the gym so that they were physically fit because we didn't want, it was prior to my time to be fair, but I, I continued it forward. We didn't, I didn't, we didn't want fat sort of, fat's not, the, out physically, of shape. yeah, physically less elite. Yeah, exactly. Out of shape guys on the pit crew, because it can, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, if you're in Malaysia and it's in the, in the burning heat and the difference between you doing a 2.2 second stop and a three second stop is the fact that the guy's a bit tired, who's picking up the tire or whatever, then, you know, you, you, you strive so much to make those small incremental changes that a big one like that is huge. And the same with drivers. 
we did a lot of um, a lot of work on looking at um, electrolyte, putting the right amount of electrolytes into the water that they drink because there was a huge drop off, and we we sort of we monitored it in 2014. There's a huge drop off in a driver's performance between the start of the race and the end of a race it's because he's tired and he's hot and he's and he's weary. So we would make sure that we fed a certain amount of electrolytes into that drink so that um and they would be told when to drink as well again i don't know if that's public knowledge no but literally you would have someone telling the driver you know you haven't had enough of your um your oh. drink you know you need to take you need more electrolytes on because they're sweating like crazy and they're losing and that and that that limits their focus and their energy and wow. and to me all those things are so financially more just it's it's low-hanging fruit as far as i was concerned it's so easy to do it's just it's it's just it's it's simple so you were doping your drivers that's a big admission nice that's what i heard that's why red bull in the in the drinks (laughs) so hang on a second hydrogen oxide should be banned (laughs) from all sport so just just to reiterate you used to make uh your team go for go to the gym and do physical exercise to improve performance i'm just reiterating that so that the royal air force definitely hears that just rewind absolutely we had a gym on site we had a partnership with and i can't remember now off the top of my head the company but it's a company that used to they, they actually used it as their sort of um showcase for all their latest gym equipment um, oh. And it was all on. It was all. It was all installed and on site at Enstone. It's a slightly separate area that you could go to, and it was stunning. It was an absolutely stunning. I think we used to call it the the physical, the human performance center. Um, and it was around the back of the simulator, and and that was where that the the guys on the pit crew would go. Anyone that worked at Enstone could go, whether it was a, a a guy working in accounts or whether it was someone in marketing or if it was a member of the the pit crew. Everyone was allowed to go. Um, and it was there and it was, it was a great facility, but it was, as, as, as I said, um, and without repeating myself, it's that kind of low hanging fruit that I think nowadays I think just goes as given, but I think mm. it wasn't even five years ago. Yeah. I don't think it was necessarily at the forefront. Well, it's a, it's a great example uh, of the, like the Schumacher effect, you know, Schumacher was a driver that went in there and was physically fit. And that was a big part of his race. You know, he wasn't hanging out of the cockpit with a, a cigarette and a grid girl. He was there training and making sure that he was treating it like an athletic sport. And really interesting to hear that that extended to the pit crew, we really don't think of, you know, Derek on front jack, you know, having to go there and making sure he's physically fit to go it and do that job. makes a massive difference. Mm. I mean, you look in Silverstone, you look at, um, was it Lando that had the the slightly longer pit stop? And yeah. you know, it, 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 can, it can really affect the position in the race, especially if it's a, a track that's hard to overtake on. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was that pit stop practice that the noise will never leave me. So I could sit in my office and I knew the day that they were doing pit stop practice because you'd hear that air gun whirring and it would, it would reverberate through the whole of the building. And there was, um, we had a little, um, lawnmower engine in a, in an old chassis. So okay. that you, so it drove in at a speed, <laughs> no way. came to a stop and then zoo, and then all four off and all four on guy with a, um, a guy with a, a stop clock and, um, yeah. yeah, and we would literally. You there was a competition. It was if you were in in the pit stop crew team A, you got as I say, you got more money. Um, and then there was the backup. So you'd have a backup for every wheel. You'd have a backup front and back jack man, and cool. and all of that. Put that little mower engine in my Vancouver, you know, fun race, whatever it is, car. That sounds just about everything that I could handle. Trumpets. 
yeah, well, in you're talking about physical fitness, you're talking about injuries too. I know Steve Matchett, who was a commentator here in the US, actually was a pit mechanic in Formula One, and he wound up retiring because he injured his back doing yeah. pit stops. So, so, so that's the thing. And I remember the first time I went to Formula E watching pit stop practice because they had it back then. And I asked the guy who was sat, I'm like, well, that's clearly the best job. How long are you stuck in there for? Well, they practice the pit stops. He's like, well, if it all goes well, I'm in here for 10 minutes. He goes, if it doesn't go well, that could be all afternoon. You never really know. So it, it's, it's funny how rapidly that's become an important thing. But I did want to ask you, of the things, the changes that you implemented in terms of human performance, which one do you think genuinely had the most impact? Um, I, again, I'm not taking credit for it, but I think the focus on the driver back in 2014 was a was a was a big difference. There was a there was a, at, at that time, if you remember, um, I remember playing squash with John Eric Verne in Bahrain, and he'd fainted. I think the, the a few weeks before because he was literally because it was driver and car. There was a there was a weight limit for driver and car, and he'd uh, he was he was really struggling to you know they had to you we were setting the drivers weight yeah, limits as rough. well. Yeah. Um, but 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 setting a driver a weight limit or a target weight limit, and also making sure that they were healthy enough to be it sounds stupid to say it like this, but healthy enough to maintain concentration for a full two hour race was was a was a big thing and um and we worked a lot on that we worked a lot with um with sports nutritionists and to make sure as i say it's it's much more than but basically just making sure that there was the right mix of electrolytes in the in the water that they drink and they were drinking at the right times was a was a big difference to me yep doping i heard what i wanted to hear that's matt did you see the latifi tweet on his birthday no. From a scale, he said, "Do you know what that number means?" Standing, standing beside a scale means I could have had more Nutella for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think they've changed that now, haven't they? They've changed that. I think they tried. Well, they they certainly tried to change it because certainly the, the taller drivers were really struggling. I know it's a it's a, a, a trigger thing for spanners, but uh, but the I like dri- it when tall people hit their heads. That's what you get. That's what you get from mocking little people and being tall. Tall idiot. Look at you with your head that's been hit by a thing. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. Was triggered. You meant to give a trigger warning. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, good. Guys, this has been a, a fantastic uh, chat. Uh, everybody in the live stream has said very nice things about you. Bruce has said, I like Mr. Carter. So you've got at least one fan. I hope you will come and uh, see us soon and give us updates on how the Vancouver Epri is shaping up and actually whilst whilst we did give a trigger warning about talking about formula e everything you're doing is promoting a an fia event and the parallels are massive to to what we're doing in formula one as well so we as if i do formula one so it was very interesting and i really hope that we can get some more updates from you as we build up to next july yeah of course yeah no problem at all awesome and Um, you still refuse to have a twitter account and do social media and stuff I do, but all I will say for now is that um, there is obviously um, there will be all of the socials for the for the race in Vancouver are being built in the background as we speak. Um, if anyone does want to uh, register an interest, then CanadianEFest.com is the is the website. Canadian At the moment, E-Fest. it's just a holding page that you'll see, but you can. Uh, 
you can click on there to register so that you get updates as soon as things are... A uh, massive countdown timer. 341 days, 22 hours, 30 minutes and 44 seconds. Whose idea was that clock? I hate it. It was my idea. And when I said it at the start, it sounded like a great idea. Until it went live. And now every morning I come into my office. Oh God, oh no. The thing doesn't stop. <laughs> it just and, keeps uh, going down and down. And it won't. But yeah, so so that, that website there you can you can click on. I think there's a there's a button there you can you can sort of uh, click your to show your interest and you'll get updates as things progress. Um we will be launching properly tickets go on sale middle of September. I think September the fifteenth is the date. Um, by that point, we'll have we'll have the two artists for the Friday and the Saturday concert going, um, and they're gonna they'll be big artists as well. So we're gonna have some real international superstars on both nights. So uh, yeah, it should be uh, the link be will good. be in the show note below, Matt. The show notes. The link is already in the oh, show okay, notes cool. that are waiting to go Love up. It. Nice. Love it. Perfect. Good. Well, that only leads us to say. Go and follow people. You can't follow Matthew Carter, although it's long overdue that I do a fake Matthew Carter Twitter account. No one else do that. I'm going to do that. That's fine. You can do it. I can't be bothered. Uh, But you can follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter and Matt Trumpets on Facebook, although it is just pictures of of trumpets. That's all you post on there. That's fine. Follow Matt's wife at A Weaver Writes. Any update on her Formula One motorsport romance novel? Well, actually, uh, we had an interesting conversation while we were at Formula E about logistics Ooh. in particular, because that was part of her interest oh, Okay, and part of the book. But uh, it's it's in the hopper, and I think it will be forthcoming in the not-too-distant future. Don't worry. You don't have to wait for that, because Matt's wife writes romance novels, which are essentially Matt Trumpet's erotic fan fiction. So if that's what you, you're into... I'm not judging it. Just go and check out A Weaver Writes on Twitter. You can also follow me. I'm, oh, come on, follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. That's what I'm going for. I want to get to 5,000. That's quite a big number. I'd feel like quite a big deal if I got to 5,000. So please follow me at Spanners Ready. And you can follow Richard Ready on Facebook. And we can be friends in that. I think the next show is going to be the Hungarian Grand Prix race review. So that will be 8 p.m., UK time. Uh, yeah, come and join us. Same place. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and on your podcatcher of choice and, and tell your friends to go to www.missedapex.net and there will be our latest episode, video or audio. And hopefully your friend can join you in being part of the Missed Apex community. If you'd like to support us, consider going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Everything we've talked about here is in the show notes below. So you can just go and Clickety-click it. We'll see you next Sunday. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. I hope everyone appreciates how hard it is to go from a gardening show on Sunday morning to a motorsport show on a Sunday evening. I'm talking about petunias and pruning. And, uh, and oh, should you grow a palm tree in your garden so you can have coconuts and everything like that to then high-octane Formula One, Formula E, motorsport, promotion, all that kind of... I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm blowing my... I'm not... Oh, hang on, I don't want to be blowing my trumpet you're not my trumpet you're an independent trumpet and and i would need your consent for any of those things if i was to borrow your trumpet and to play 
music on it. You're just sending me down mythic quest pathways now. Because I'm thinking about your your wife's books, which I've read and gone, oh, that's what it would be like to be romantically involved with Matt. And that's, you know, and that thought's just burned into my head. Yeah, well, the fact that I'm a fabulous human being, uh, I don't know. It just kind of is what it is. Oh, do we have an award to give out? (sighs) Okay, okay. Yes, we have an award. Let's give out. Comment of the week. Matt, should we keep it to three nominees and Mr. Carter can pick the winner? Um, Yes, we have Mark Greenhow. My suggestion would be to have a celebrity. It's a knockout before the race. People in massive costumes trying to climb over obstacles would really draw the crowds. Yeah. They won't want to do that, though, because they'll look silly. We have Chris Fonseca in with Kimmy will be the first driver to race his child in <laughs> F1. That could happen. That could, I'm up for it. Do you know what? I was like, oh, Kimmy's taking up a place now and he's past his peak. But now I'm just like, no, let's just see. How far can we push Kimi Raikkonen in Formula One? Do they, like, how angry can we can we see him get, like, just descend into a grumpy old dude just yelling at everyone in the paddock? Beating them with his cane, yes. Yeah. Um, and then finally we have Wietse van Bruggen. Otas to Alfa Romeo would make that team even more boring than it already is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Savage, but... Who's <laughs> <laughs> our winner, Matthew? I think it has to be the it's a knockout because I actually think it's a good idea. Maybe we should try it. Go for it again, Mark. Congratulations, Mark Greenhow. You have won this week's Comet of the Week. That's Mark Greenhow. He's northern and everything. We've got diversity sorted here, haven't we? Comment of the Week. Can you read it Read it in a northern accent? That's the only way to do that justice. Right. What I think right, is we should have knockout competitions or have celebs and that, but that big giant <laughs> form thing just comes and hits them in head and then everyone's laughing. Be grand that. Just generic northern. I don't even know. Wait, no, that's the wrong side, isn't it, Mark? You're from the pretty side of the north, the Lake District and stuff, not Yorkshire, where everything's on fire. Anyway, time to go before uh, the whole of Yorkshire. We've upset Holland and the Netherlands last week. We've upset Yorkshire this week, so I think it's time to, to get out of here, unless anyone wants to say anything litigious. No, I think we're all good. Let's roll. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 